0: Welcome to the
1: 4Jack Podcast.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season six of the 4Jack Podcast. This episode, much like every episode, is powered by our friends over at Galvin Green. Galvin Green is the number one technical golf apparel brand preferred on every professional tour. We're famous for designing high-tech, elevated golf apparel for every golfer, male or female, to feel invincible under all conditions. Head over to GalvinGreen.com and get your apparel game dialed in for the 2023 what's remaining, and now for the 2024 season. A massive thank you to our community that continues to support and share in our success. Throughout season six, you can expect more untold stories, more amazing contests, More amazing guests, and a deeper dive into how golf truly impacts, connects, and is celebrated by many. We have a very special guest on this evening, hailing from the center of the universe, as the Canadians like to refer to it as, the pride of Brampton, Ontario. But before we hand this man the microphone, we're heading down to warmer climates to check in with my co-host, Mr. Derek Lane. What's happening in SoCal today?
0: All right, Park Street, beautiful day. Uh, We're definitely going golf-centric after last week's baseball fest with Train and KB and all of the boys uh, was kind of still hard to believe. I mean, I know we had one of the auto offices, but it's hard to believe how well that one went, right? What a great season. Insane six kickoff. It was, it was pretty crazy. And then to think that KB is coming on here in the next couple of weeks. And we've got some pretty fun stuff with Chris Zambri and some other things kind of taking over that USGA role. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of inching its way back towards golf, obviously the Ryder cup coming up. And uh, uh, we'll preview that a little bit uh, going forward, but, For us, obviously, the Minnesota and canadian connection here, uh, even though no longer am I anywhere near there, it's going to be interesting for me because the hometown story is always the best, right? And as you said, uh, from previous seasons, most people from north of where I come from refer to the center of the universe near that Toronto part of the world. So I'm always anxious when West Coast Canadians and (laughs) in Toronto people in that part of the world in Ontario get together because for me, the dynamic is way different. Because this one we have to be respectful. We're happy that we got David on today. But normally in our past, a lot of the guys, that's just, you know, that's basically an hour of talking shit. So I I think we'll hopefully get there, but we'll 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 edge in easily.
2: We'll keep the out and about limited this evening, as as people like to refer to it. We're graciously joined tonight by Journeyman, PGA tour player, who hopefully can shed some light on his longevity on the tour. A true ambassador for golf, not only in Canada but on a global stage, please welcome to the show, Mr. David Hunt.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
2: Definitely. Thanks for making some time to jump on with us tonight. It's, uh, it's exciting, like Derek said, to, to turn our attention back to golf. We kicked off season six with a bunch of uh, baseball guys, and it was a little out of my element. These guys, Derek, rubs shoulders with on a regular basis, so not so much for him, but I'm excited to get back onto the golf side of things, so... David, what's up these days? Where are you hanging out? Tell us where you're, uh, where you're hanging your hat these days.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm down in Delray beach right now in Florida. It's kind of where I spend my off time have done for uh, quite some time. Um, I'm just sort of like, you know, trying to keep my game fresh. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in this uh, veteran category on the PGA tour. Um, You know, I'm there for a reason. I haven't been playing the golf that, you know, I was accustomed to for a long time on the PGA tour. So this is where I'm at. And you know, I'm getting my eight to ten starts uh, per season right now, and I'm just trying to make the best of those, and uh, you know, try to try to get better status. I'm kind of, uh, you know, I get asked a lot more now than than I used to about how long I have till the Champions Tour. So I guess that means <laughs> I'm getting older. <laughs> I get that question, oh, you know, you're getting, how old are you now? You know where that is leading, you know. So yeah. I'm 44, so I have quite a few years left. So I'm I'm just trying to uh, keep my game fresh and. You know, I still think I can uh, I, I can play my way back into a decent position on the PGA Tour, but there's no doubt, you know, in the, the time that I've been professional, um, I turned pro in 2001, the game's changed a lot, and, uh, you know, what I'm really good at isn't being rewarded quite the same way as, as it was uh, a while ago, and that's fine, that's just the evolution of sports, and, and the bigger, faster, stronger, so... Uh, a long answer to your question, I'm just trying to stay fresh and, and, you know, get ready for those events when I get in. I'll get a couple more later in the fall, hopefully, Bermuda and RSM. Might do a few Mondays before that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's it. And chasing my kids around. What's <laughs> chasing the kids around? Well, that'll keep you fresh for sure. Keep you keep you
2: active. Keep the cardio going. What kind of status do you have right now? Do we have limited starts? Do you have corn ferry status? What what kind of what's yeah, that so...
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a long story. My corn fairy status, I played like a part of a season last year. I was under the expectation I might have a little bit of a longer, I might have a full season this year out there, but I, um, kind of a technicality. There's this, you know, there's all sorts of rules and things that kind of govern what we do on the PJ tour. And they usually give you a year. If you've been on the tour for five consecutive years, I played more than that, but one of those years I went into the 26 to 50 category and that started my clock. I'm getting that full season. So I ended up petitioning and you know, whatever, they changed the rule, but you're welcome to the next generation. It doesn't apply to me. So. Jesus. <laughs> so right now I'm just sort of playing out of my veteran category on the PGA, you know, kind of getting my starts when I get in, um, you know, I, I might look at Q school this fall and, and try to improve that status. I know Jay bird went to Q school last year. Um, you know, he's always been very, Um, vocal about the way that, you know, he, he, he feels like, you know, his kids are now at an older age and he says, you got to set the example with yourself and um, you know, you have to work for everything you can get. So here's a guy that's won, you know, four or five times on the PGA tour and he's going back to Q school and showing his kids that, you know, it's, it's only what you put in, what you get out. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll I'll work toward Q school probably this fall and try to improve some status now that uh, they have five cards uh, back in the mix again.
2: Any interest in pursuing world like DP world tour stuff or playing out outside of the U S in the PGA tour or not really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would love that opportunity. Uh, it's not as easy as, as it, you know, just going to those schools, like the guys that I, I talked to Jared, uh, you know, a young Canadian kid, he's trying to do both this fall. It can be a little bit of a, a logistical challenge trying to get to the stages, uh, in Europe and in North America. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for the guys that try to do both those at the same time. I, I would love to play that tour. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, this is the time my career, you know, you would like to do that. But part of me says too, you know, with uh, my family where it's at, I've got three kids that are kind of, uh, you know, requiring a lot of attention. They're 11, 8, and 6 right now. So we're we're busy at home and um, it'd be tough if you missed a cut in Germany to get home and, and uh, help out my wife. So I, uh, you know, I don't really have a huge desire to go over there right now as much as it would be a lot of fun to play uh, that tour. Would, it would be great to get over there.
0: Well, and you also think about the way life hops in the way of a lot of things that you're trying to achieve, right? So as you said, 11, 8, and 6, the world is different. Qualifying is different. Golf is becoming a different, obviously, global game. So when you start getting to the point where you're at this this kind of crossroads where, like I said, you might go back to Q school you might chase different things, always trying to improve status. It's never going to end there. Kind of take us through a day in the life of what it is when you're grinding for this, getting ready, as you said, possibly to Monday or to get into a couple of them. Where do you think the day starts to where the day ends? And, you know, kind of including the parenting into it all, because I got to think it's all encompassing from, from sunrise to sunset. Correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm a member at a nice golf course down here in South Florida. And, and part of the reason I joined it is kind of the culture and the attitude around there related to, you know, pace of play and, and what I can get out of it. So my typical day, like you say, when I'm home uh, and I'm preparing for an event, you know, if I have an event from a month from now, my preparation is going to be different than it is a week from now. So let's just say I'm, you know, a week out and I'm I'm starting to ramp up and and try to get all the drills done that I think I need to do to prepare. I'll typically, you know, you know, help the kids get out of the house in the morning, go to the golf course about eight. Um, we usually play golf by about nine and we're fortunate. That the course I'm at, we can play in about three hours. So I'm done around noon. I'll usually, you know, have a little bit of lunch and then, you know, I might work on my game for the next uh, two and a half, three hours. And that's usually a full day for me. And it works out nice because then I can come back and, and kind of be there at home when the kids get home, help them with the homework and whatever sports and activities they have might have. So You know, it's a pretty full day. Um, By the time we get to bed at nine o'clock, I got about an hour to kind of catch up on the day and and we do it all over again the next day. But, and the days that I don't play golf, um, you know, a little bit of gym time maybe, and then, you know, three or four hour practice session. Um, So, you know, it's, it's the same kind of work I've put in my whole career. It, It changes, you know, based on what you need to work on at that moment. Uh, but I, have always enjoyed the grind. Like I've always enjoyed the idea of trying to get better. I think, um, you know, when you're a young kid and you're, you're trying to learn the game and do other sports, I just always gravitated to golf because I enjoyed, I enjoyed the solitude of hitting shots and working on stuff, you know, on the range. Um, not every kid does, right. Some kids like playing and some kids like practicing and I really enjoyed, enjoyed practicing. So that's, that's a big part of, you know, my game.
2: Are you working with anybody in particular right now from a coaching perspective? And is there a diet component and a physical fitness component involved in that? Maybe share a little bit of that with our audience.
1: Yeah, I over the years I've uh, I've consulted guys on on diet and physical fitness things. Um, you know, it's something that I've I've always been pretty good at, at sticking to. Uh, you know the rules, and you know some guys have gone so far, you know to to get testing done and, you know, based on their blood type, you know, you should be eating certain things and trying to maximize this, that, and the other. I never went quite that far with it. Um, I never got quite that technical and you know, it works well for some guys, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's something I should have done a little bit better, but I've always been pretty good about, you know, making sure I get the right balance of meals, um, you know, and, and, trying to I think good rest is a big part of it too like I always tried to get good sleep Um, you know I know a lot of the guys some guys like to nap even I know a lot of guys in other sports do too I I was never a big napper but I was always trying to make sure I had good rest and you want to uh, you want to balance your your week out to where you're you're rested and you're, you're ready to be most focused on Sunday when you're the most tired so it's always a balancing act of trying to you know, prepare as much as you can, but not overdo it to where you're, you're tired on Sunday afternoon. Um, but as far as coaching goes right now, no, I haven't been working with anybody in particular. I've worked with a few coaches over the years. Um, and you know, as my status has kind of waned, I've kind of gotten a little bit off track of to where I might've been, um, you know, when I was kind of playing some of my better golf, um, in my you know late twenties and early thirties. So, i've kind of taken it upon myself you know i consult a couple of friends on it that are in the industry um but not really an official coaching relationship but you know there's so many um you know with digital media and, and the footage that we have like i have so many old videos and tapes of when i was swinging it so well i've just been really you know kind of bearing down on those videos and trying to get my swing back to the way i felt like i swung it when i when i played my best golf so um, yeah, I don't think I need someone exactly uh, at this moment in time to, to guide me through that. I I think I'm kind of in one of those phases where I got to kind of rediscover myself, you know, one of those journeys. So, and I think it's well, getting
0: there. Well, Parksy, this is right up my alley. We're like talking <laughs> napping, sleeping in mid forties. It's like, I get it. And, I feel you know, it. <laughs> and that was one of the things you stole it from David. It's like, to me, I think that's just it, right? You start to get to a point in your life, as you said, 43, 44, 45, your eyes, they don't lie anymore. They know where things are. You know what plane's going to be. You know where things are going to have to go. And as you said, this is more of a mental versus spiritual versus kind of figuring out what it is you want to do. Uh, it's obviously not physical. You can still watch yourself swing it. You know where the ball is going to go most of the time playing well. But let's talk a little bit about technology and kind of where we're at with golf clubs, golf balls. Do you find now that as, as fit as you are and as hard as you're working on that side of your body... Do you find that you're still getting more out of the new equipment than you could you've ever thought? Like, I know you referenced your your late 20s, early 30s. Let's talk a little bit about where we are right now with not only the ball, the clubs and all that stuff, but kind of what your expectations are going forward.
1: Yeah, so here's an interesting note. A couple of funny stories on this. Uh, I I, I had a good buddy of mine, Chris would know John Mills, uh, out to Caddy for me this summer um, at the Barbasol he's now the head coach at Kent state university. Uh, we grew up playing golf together, um, uh, went through the ranks together. He, he managed to get to the PJ tour a couple times. And anyway, we were had just having a conversation and I was like, Hey, like, do you remember when we were like junior golfers, you know, in college, I was like, do you remember what your like club head speed was or your ball speed back in that time? Did you ever know? And he's like, he's like, heck no, man. Like, like I, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I said, I was like the same thing. And it wasn't until I was done my first year as a professional, I went to the, uh, Titleist, uh, PT center out in Carlsbad and, and I found out what my ball speed was. So I was 22 years old. So you talk about like changing technologies and stuff. Now these kids are, they've got it pretty good, you know, like if, uh, you know when you're 16 years old if your club head speed isn't where it needs to be you've, you've got the tools and resources to to really get after it these days which is i think part of the reason you've seen a huge explosion in the distance and everything that's going on um as far as me personally um again in a funny conversation not this year at the 3m but last year um I, we were in a rain delay and i was sitting with a bunch of buddies I was sitting with ryan armor and kevin stadler and um I, my first year on the PGA Tour was 2005, and uh, and that year I led the tour in total driving. And I don't know if it was because I had a good year, but maybe Kenny Perry kind of had an off year or somebody like that. But I, uh, <laughs> I managed to squeak it out and, and win the – although he was playing majors and, you know, invitationals, and I was playing a lot of the smaller events. But uh, nonetheless, you know, I was in the top – you know, third of the tour and distance and my accuracy was very good. So, you know, I managed to squeak out a little stat victory. Um, I hit it virtually the same now as when I did in 2005. You know, I don't think, you know, my fitness is good and, and, you know, my equipment is solid. You know, I get a lot, about the same out of it as I probably did back then. And we're sitting at this table with, you know, Ryan Armour. He also led the tour in total driving one year when he first got on tour. Stadler was always way up there. And we just, for fun, we're looking at our phones. We're like, yeah, let's see where our driving numbers are now. And we were all like 190th and below, like in ter- and distance. We're all like, this, this is what's going on. This is how the game's changing. and it, it is what it is. Like we were saying, bigger, faster, stronger. So, you know, I'm getting as much as I can out of the equipment. But, you know, for whatever reason, the way I was sort of brought up and you know, I, I've seen some guys at this age, you know, Greg Chalmers is trying to go through this transformation. Patrick Harrington spent a ton of time on over the years, the last couple of years, like he's been obsessed with trying to gain All distance. Speed. It's really paying off for him right now. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication to, to add that speed at this age. Um, certainly a lot easier for the young guys to kind of find it. Um, so as far as my setups going I, you know, I'm working on it and um, you know, I, I'm I'm going to start to dedicate myself to trying to, Uh, gain some more speed but you have to do it in the right way a lot of funny stories about guys our age you know trying to buy these stack systems and stuff like that and you end up hurting your shoulders and your knees and you know because you're not ready to take on that speed yet so you got to do it in the right way
2: it's it's wild to see and i mean even just going back to the walker cup which we saw on, on tv recently and these guys are hitting like three wood into some of the some of the par fours and just like bombing it like we're not talking hitting it far we're talking about bombing it it's insanity but control like no dispersion and everything is so dialed i guess you can attribute that to the equipment and having a launch monitor track man and all these you know tools at your disposal whereas it's funny that you say you know learning at such a young age what your ball speed was because really back then who gave a shit nobody cared like what what was that data going to do for you nothing really so it's 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 crazy to see that now the philosophy is just go learn to hit it as hard as you can and as far as you can. And then we'll figure out how to, you know, create less dispersion, get you dialed in and get your yardages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, my kids all have this, you know, us kids equipment, it's all light. They can learn how to move fast. I grew up with, you know, steel shaft and a wooden head. It's not exactly, you know, how to learn to swing the clubs with speed. So, um, some of these, you know, patterns and tendencies you kind of ingrain as a kid, uh, you know, it just wasn't my time. Now there are guys that hit it a lot longer that are in my generation. There's no doubt about it, but to your point, when you're a kid, I kind of describe it to people as, you know, you play junior golf and you'd play at your club and you kind of knew where you fit in at your club. And then you'd go play a junior tournament. You knew how you fit in in your region and your, you know, whatever. So, a lot of times you're kind of in this bubble unless some kids you're at the club with you know bombed it you weren't really worried about keeping it up with with guys but now you have the da- you know you just know the data you know Wyndham Clark hits it at 185 okay well that's a good number to to go for but we didn't have those sort of goals and standards back you know when we were kids but I'm sounding old at 44 I'm not even that old. <laughs> Yeah,
0: but I think that's but that's the fun part, isn't it, David? It's like not only that, but KG and all of the things that go along with that, but you're also understanding who you are, right? So those times where it's going to come down to when you feel like you got it back, you're just going to be in such a different mental place than a lot of these young kids that haven't been there. And as our listeners know, USC, both men and men play out of our facility in LA. And they don't play golf the way that I play golf. They don't train the way that I knew how to train. They don't do things that are you know normal anymore to the way we grew up as you said steel shaft a lot of golf balls wooden heads still you know putting windings on on hosels and that kind of thing like these guys have TaylorMade made and callaway and ping out at all times they're on the range at all times testing that the length and you know the stress level of what they can and can't do with a golf ball and they're trying to you know eliminate one side and they're going to figure it out from there and without any nerves you make everything right like it's a different philosophy but I think one of the things that I'm really interested in tonight's pod and what you're saying already is just that understanding of self-belief, right? I think the big part about this journey is it's like, I'm fascinated with, with Ludwig on the European team for the Ryder cup. Like I'm fascinated by some of these kids that are not really even knowing they're ready for primetime, that they're already just prime time's just the way of life, right? I mean, just look at Victor, what he's done just in the last 12 calendar months and, I think that, you know, now you've got Justin Thomas being the old guy and you're going to go into this match play format where nobody fears anybody, right? They just want to perform to the level that they can. And from an analytical standpoint, if they play the way that they're supposed to play, they feel like they're going to win. And if they don't, they come back tomorrow and try and do the same thing, which I think is fascinating that golf has evolved a little bit like major league baseball in the States in the fact that numbers and, risks and percentages and all of that, they're all they're all factored in. And I think like this weekend, I think it's gonna be the first time where I feel like there's a little bit of mad science that goes along with just, you know, elation and and pride from a from a standpoint that I think it's all going to be one big kind of alchemist. And I'm I'm really excited to see this week. I, I hope that I think the ladies last week proved that this is the way that the world's going now. I'm really excited to see the men do it. So I it just from context what you're saying it makes me feel good because I I grew up the exact same way. But somebody who's doing it at a higher level like yourself, knowing what it's going to take, that's why I think it's just got to be this unbelievable thing to be out there and to see these 19 to 25-year-old flat bellies doing what you did, even you're a flat belly at 44, but these kids just running away with the way that they play golf in a completely different mindset and missing just not meaning that much from a money standpoint, right? I, I just, I can't wait to watch it. And I, I hope that it, it lives up to the billing.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I I, I think I've had a lot of conversations with just kind of expand on what you're saying. I think, um, you know, my, I had a caddy on PGA for 10 years in a row. Uh, It was a guy named Brenda Everson. He caddied for Justin Leonard in his prime and David Tom's back on the, on the Hogan tour. And when he first got going, Um, we had a lot of conversations about this when, you know, there were obviously a very few unique players like your Tiger Woods and your Charles Howells who kind of came out of college and they got their card right away and had tons of confidence and were able to kind of fit into that pro game right away. That's a very unique player. That doesn't happen very often. But what we're noticing, in my opinion, now more than we ever have is exactly what you're talking about. And I think part of it goes back to the same data conversation that we're having a minute ago about the track man stuff. I think that a lot of these college players now with, with all the resources and information that they have in front of them used to be, you'd kind of get out on tour and you had to kind of get your feet wet and, you know, get beat up a little bit and then kind of work your way. maybe your second year on tour was it used to be a pretty big deal. If you could keep your card as a rookie. And I think a lot of these guys now, when they get out at, at younger ages on average being rookies than they used to be, I think, you know, to your point in the baseball and the, and the data stuff and all that, I think, you're looking at a generation of guys that with all this information have a ton more confidence when they get on the PJ tour, listen, my track man numbers are this I'm doing exactly what the world-class players are doing. I just got to go do it. And they're able to perform at a high level, a lot younger than they used to be. Um, you know, whereas that mental hurdles and battles that you used to have to fight through, I think you're getting through that with some of that information now more than in the past. It, it is, it's pretty cool to see. And I think, I think that Ludwig's a great pick for Europe. It's going to be a great story. It'll be fun to watch. Like you say, I'm excited about it and uh, and see how it all pans out. I I think Luke's making a good pick. It'll 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 be interesting to see how it turns out. I had a chance to I was practicing uh, at the Kane Open and he was on the range and I had a chance to watch him. I haven't played with him obviously being as young as he is, but uh, he looks like he's he's the real deal. He's very polished. He's you know, he's a very big strong individual. But when I watched him chipping and putting around the greens, he, he had all the shots. Uh, he's He he's, looks like he's going to be a generational player. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does in this format, getting going. He'll be right in the spotlight. So it'll be fun.
2: I watched him hit balls at the U.S. Open. For whatever reason, I was on the range, and he was on the range, and he was hitting three woods, all kinds of trees. You were hitting balls on the range, really? <laughs> he was hitting balls on the range. I, I was watching. <laughs> I was not hitting balls he was hitting balls on the range and i was watching him hit all these all these flights and it, it hit with ease he was carrying a three-wood like 295 300 Incredible. yards and i was like this guy's just buttering a three-wood out there like if he torques on driver he's sitting at 350 360 that's just yeah insane it's power impressive. but to have that control and to have that sort of i don't know what you want to call it, it it seems like a bit of an old soul in a young body right i mean he's yeah the maturity he's mature yeah. he's polished he's professional He doesn't take any liberties it seems like he's very confident in front of the camera so yeah exactly what you guys both said it's going to be uh i wish i was hitting balls with him it's going to be very exciting (laughs) i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you chumps then right that would be the other side of it this next segment of the show is brought to you by our new friends over at swannies swannies is here with a fresh take performance-based materials are given these days but if you're looking for the stretchiest, most lightweight pieces that can deliver a look that says, I'm here for a good time, take a walk on the Swanee side. With fabric sourced from recycled plastics and design sourced from our very own Weekend Warriors, Swanee's looking out for both the planet and those that need a little style boost. Premium looks from top to bottom at Swannies.co. And if you use 4Jack25, you can receive an extra 25% off your purchase at checkout. Enjoy, swanies.com. Well, I mean, just think, you know,
0: just think of all the people that Seve took underneath his wing, right, and played with all the first-timers. And I remember when Lee was just, you know, as round-faced as I am playing with Faldo. And, like, that, there's just some dynamic. And I know they haven't lost since 93 on their own soil, and they're going to be incredibly hard to beat. I mean, if you're Ludwig, it'd be pretty nice knowing pod-wise with Rahman and Victor. You know, you probably feel pretty good about what you're doing regardless of what you're doing, right? But I think you know, kind of tying it back into the States and kind of with David, it's like, you've watched Ricky do what Ricky did in the last six, 12 months. Right. And obviously working his way back into being picked and to think that we're having a Ryder cup minus Phil minus Patrick Reed, minus Dustin Johnson, just stalwarts, you know, regardless of whatever, however you feel, I don't think most of us will miss Mr. Reed, but still, you know, the guy performed at a very high level and it is what it is. And obviously they've kind of, they're not part of this, but I mean, Just thinking about what looking at those coaches, you know, people you're going to know and obviously being based out of Florida, people you run into all the time. But, you know, I think I want Ricky to have an amazing Ryder Cup and just kind of put the cherry on what has been an amazing comeback because Justin's fighting a little bit now. I mean, it's damn impossible to do this every year, year in and year out not run into these things. Right. And I think you could really speak to that from not only a perseverance standpoint, but more importantly, what these guys do to come in and out of these roles where you just have to manage your emotions and understand that it's there and it'll eventually work its way back out. I mean, is that a fair statement?
1: Well, you, you know, you're on the pod here with two Canadians, right? So I'm not sure if we're really going to be pulling for Ricky and JT and all the boys wearing the red, <laughs> white, and blue. So like, you're making an assumption. Percy's going well because of- it.
0: But, David, Parksy is going because of the listenership. You don't have to, but Perksy, we need the States.
1: Trust me when yeah, I say yeah. that. Yeah,
2: we're, we're trending in that direction. So, yeah, it's safe to say, go
0: USA. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm thinking, you're mentioning all those names, like, you know, DJ and Patrick, and I'm thinking, well, there's no Poulter, there's no Westwood, there's yeah. no Stenson, right? you know, I'm sure. thinking of all the, the Europeans. The core the crew groups, is not right? there anymore,
2: Chang- sure, I mean, changing I mean, of the I'm guard. Saying,
1: it's been, like, 20 years since these guys haven't been on a team. So, uh, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I, i think like the Ryder cup is a great sporting event it brings out so much good in the game and i think you know i i don't want to go down the live conversation but i've i've compared like the sort of you know that what live has kind of done to the game has kind of created this sort of like uh division in the game but the, the beautiful thing about the Ryder cup is it kind of created that atmosphere but didn't have like the lasting division that sort yes. of live and the pj tour are having and i've always loved that about the Ryder cup. It's like this time they come together and it's like pure pride playing for your country and, and your team. And it's like, it's that raw emotion and you see how much guys love this. And, uh, to your point, I think, you know, it's just fun to watch when guys are, you know, playing great golf and, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's like when Stenson and Mickelson battled out down the stretch at that, at the open championship, two guys playing amazing golf. You see that a lot in the Ryder cup. It's fun to watch. Um, Ricky's incredible talent you knew he wouldn't stay down for long um his his golf swing looks as good as I've ever seen it he uh you know at the club I'm at in Florida a club called pine tree he um we have this little pro member thing and he's he's kind of come down and played in it last couple years and made it look pretty easy a golf course is pretty hard so I knew he was playing some pretty golf pretty good golf before he went into this season uh even just from seeing him you know the way he was playing at home so it'll be fun um you know there's a lot of question marks you know it's It'll be interesting to see how those captain's picks turned out. You know, the media will be loving all that. It'll be a fun, it'll be an awesome Ryder Cup. It'll be fun to watch.
2: Can we hope to see David Hearn maybe making a run at a President's Cup spot coming up here? We got Royal Montreal next year, so that uh, can be exciting.
1: (laughs) I got a long way to go. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, they do count the current year points as double, I believe. So if I I get hot and get on a roll, you never know. I was pretty proud of seeing uh, Corey and Taylor make that Presidents Cup team the last last time around. Two Canadian boys on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we were a little disappointed they didn't uh, secure some more points. Uh, Corey is just uh, he's so consistent. I would have expected him to do a little bit better, but uh, I think um, you know the next Presidents Cup is in Canada. We got Weirzy's captain. You know I think Nick Taylor winning the Kane Open. I gotta believe he's on uh, Weirsey's radar. Hopefully, as a, if he doesn't earn a spot, hopefully as a pick, but you know it, it's tough man like uh you got to play a good season to, to be in that top 12 to get chosen it just shows you how talented some of these guys are like you were talking about like mickelson how many Ryder cups and president cups he's played it's just incredible when you start adding it up that's a lot of good golf um for a lot of years it's, it's not easy to do that's a lot of money lost in betting
2: <clears throat> <laughs> moving along 2015 canadian <laughs> open david Is that one sting a little bit? You mentioned Nick and obviously the, the famous takedown Adam Hadwin getting tackled on the green. I mean, that's going to live on forever, but 2015 for you, is that, is that one that you you really wish would have been
1: in the bag? Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm proud of that tournament. When I look back on it, I don't, I don't think of it in a, in a negative way. Um, you know, I think that's just the nature of sports and the way you got to kind of reflect on things. I think the same way about, you know, the John Deere when it didn't go quite my way there, but, uh, you know, at Canadian Open, I, it, you know, it, Nick winning, you know, every tournament kind of evolves in its own way. And I was talking to someone about, I got asked at a, at a function I was at not too long ago about Nick winning. And, um, you know, was there a lot of parallels in comparison to the way that it went for me? And not, not really because I was leading after Friday. I was leading after Saturday. You know, I teed off on Sunday in the last group with a two shot lead. I think I shot maybe one under par on Sunday. I played okay, but I birdied the first couple of holes and then just kind of stalled out and made a bunch of pars in the middle. And, um, and then down the stretch, J day got real hot and, and made a bunch of birdies coming in at, at the Abbey, but uh, he went on to be number one in the world shortly after that. Yeah. So he was obviously playing some great golf, but uh, you know, it, it it's a different experience when you're sleeping on the lead and you're dealing with, you know, that type of uh, thing. Whereas Nick kind of teed off maybe an hour before the leaders, he was kind of, trying to post a number, uh, go as low as he could. Um, you know, as a, as a fan, obviously incredible that he was in that position. Uh, he has to feel a little bit fortunate because he posted the number pretty early and there were some guys that had a chance to take him down, even Fleetwood on the 72nd hole. So, uh, finally Canadians got a break to go our way, I guess, in that tournament. And, you know, he got into that playoff and, and obviously the rest is history. So, um, you know, I, I, when I look at Nick, you know, he's a friend of mine. Uh, I couldn't be prouder of him. And, and you know, he he's a great guy to sort of hold the torch of the Canadian to win that tournament now. Weirzy he had a chance, you know, in the playoff against uh, VJ, um, Way you know, back. Had run yeah, way back. <laughs> way back. Uh, Hadwin, I remember playing with Hadwin at Shaughnessy one year. He finished in the top. I think he had a third place finish as well. Um, Jared Dutois had a, had a chance the year after myself. So there's been lots of guys that have had a run at it. Um, and it's just great that somebody's finally, you know, won it. Uh, couldn't have been, you know, more dramatic. It was pretty awesome to see. Uh, and, and like I say, Nick is, uh, he's a good good guy. And I'm super proud that he's the one that did it. So, no, I, I feel i feel very good about my performance and, you know, and, and his as well.
2: How do you feel about the shape of golf and the young talent coming out of Canada right now? You were kind of one of the, I don't know, you broke the barriers down, so to speak, maybe a, a little bit in the shadow of Mike Weir, but you were a Rookie of the Year on the Can Tour. You came out of college pretty hot. You had a win on, was it web.com or Nike Tour way back in the day? Yep. Uh, I think I walked that event and watched Ricky Barnes get relief from a burrowing animal about nine times just so he would make the cut so he could keep him in the tournament after <laughs> playing as an amateur at Augusta. But, I mean, are the, is the talent – is it fair to say – golf is in a good place in Canada and golf Canada doing a good job of nurturing and sort of supporting these young talents. What do you think? Yeah,
1: of- you know, I don't really know. You know, it, it's hard to really say exactly what the the reason behind sort of golf sort of explosion in Canada right now is golf Canada certainly has contributed to that. Um, there's, uh, you know, when I was like, you know, 2003, Weirzy wins Augusta? I was already a professional for two years. And I remember I was watching it with John Mills. We were in a hotel. We were trying to Monday qualify for a, a Nike tour event at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finished up our practice round, ran home to watch it and you know, watched all the all the last nine holes, and it was pretty awesome to see. So, um, at that time, you know, it was there was uh, I believe Glenn Natchick on the PGA tour, Ian Leggett, and Mike Weir. And obviously Mike Weir was the one having the most success. Um you know, a few other guys kind of popped on and off, uh, Dave Morland and, you know, a few other guys, uh, Stephen Ames, obviously are sort of, uh, adopted Canadian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, um, you know, we had a few examples of guys, but I think right now you're seeing a huge explosion with, you know, guys that are out there. I think where is he set the bar for these guys? You know, I give him a lot of credit for, you know, uh, sort of showing, how to do it, you know, where was never the biggest guy, he never hit it the furthest. He had a, you know, incredible grind to his game. Uh, so much respect for the way he played and, and how much he gave on every shot. Um, you know, I think he, he kind of showed a lot of Canadians, like, you know, this, this can be done. You know, you don't, you don't have to grow up in Florida or a Southern place and be able to achieve, you know, win on the PGA tour and see all the success. So I think this generation now, Yeah. Golf Janet has done a great job, I think. um, But I, you know, I think you're seeing an impact of a guy like Mike Weir winning a major championship as well.
0: Well, and I think just the end on the 18th, just take last year, right? I just, I mean, it just, it just shows you that it ebbs and flows through him. I think that he's always going to be the father for right now. And I think it's awesome that you guys recognize that I really do. But the one thing that I know is the inspiration coming from that has just changed so much. Right. And so like I see these kids go out and play the Canadian tour and I watch what's coming out of college. And it's just the pride, you know, obviously of doing all of that. And then from the Dakotas tour and seeing all those kids come down when I was growing up and they are going to all point, you know, right to Mike and, and what it is he accomplished, not only in the way that he played, but in the way he carried himself, always the underdog, but yet always the favorite when it came down to, him, right. which I just think is fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I think like, you know, Nick Taylor, win the cane Open. that's an, a monumentous event for Canadians in golf. Brooke Henderson doing the same thing on the ladies tour a couple of years prior, you know, you don't know how long that ripple effect is going to take to show up in the men's game and what effect Nick will have on the next generation, you know, it will be many years. I think in the ladies game, hopefully we see a little bit of an explosion a little sooner. Cause I think the the ladies game, you know, it's, a, you're a bit younger to reach your prime than, than you are on the PGA tour, but uh, you know, it's pretty cool that they have such great role models. Uh, the, the kids growing up now. It's, it's pretty awesome. You know, we had a few guys setting the standard, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it was kind of, after that set of guys I mentioned, it was kind of me and Graham Dillette and uh, Weirzy, and that was about it for a few years. And then, you know, now we've had this explosion of sort of that next generation. It's, it's pretty cool to see. I think, um, you know, Canada's gotta be pretty proud of of what we've done for, uh, you know, a small country that loves hockey first. (laughs)
0: well and it's so funny you say that because like i grew up uh in minneapolis just south of minneapolis and when i was growing up gopher hockey was is was bigger than the nhl and so the stars ended up moving to dallas because when i grew up you had to be from minnesota to play for the gophers it was pride on ice obviously coming off of the olympic win so it was this thing where i had this wonderful love hate relationship with canadians because I understood what it is they did. All of the other universities growing up in Minnesota, they all played there, just not the University of Minnesota. And so when I was in the desert, fast forward, and I was, it was at the quarry forever, and the the uh, political strife and, and the hit of 08, the Canadians were there to save the valley, 100%, right? And I've, I've kidded with, with Parksy about this. Nobody in the world loves blue more than green than the Canadians, because if the sky is blue and it's nice out, they don't give a shit where they're gonna play. They just want to play. They want to be part of the moral fabric, wherever it is they are. And I've always fallen in love with that because there's such a there's such a feel, kind of what you and I are talking about tonight, David, with Parksy. And there's this feel of kind of just being important to the whole fabric that is whatever it is you're from, right? So when we were at the quarry, all of the caddies were from either Vancouver, Calgary, or Kelowna. If you were from Vancouver, then we had to kind of think about it for a little while. You had to prove yourself because I'm not sure you're going to work as hard as the other kids. But like there was this thing and they came down every year in droves and we had all these kids. They revolutionized how we we carried. We weren't on the back of carts. We were forecatting, We were setting different standards. And I've just been part of so many different things with Canadians that they just outwork other people. I, it's just it's the only way to say it. And as long as it wasn't raining, they played golf every day. And they didn't give a shit where they played. They just wanted to be out. Right. And I get a little of that being Minnesota, but tell me a little bit kind of about that work ethic. Where did it come from when you were growing up? Where did you get it to be what you're doing right now, still grinding and knowing that you can do all of this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I think, you know, where you're from in Minnesota, you're seeing a lot of like sort of farm area of Canada, a lot of rural areas. So you get that work ethic obviously from, you know, sort of being in that area of the country, you know, where I'm from, you know, I'm both, I grew up, I was born in, in Toronto area, but I grew up in Brantford, which is about an hour from Toronto. So, uh, but my family, my mom was a teacher my dad was sort of like, he went in and out he was a minister and then he was an artist for a while. So I think, you know, your parents kind of instill that in you. And I think, you know, I think Canadians in general. I think um, I don't know if it's just sort of like hockey culture or the way that we kind of raised. You know, it's um, you're taught to be kind of humble and you're taught to always understand that uh, it's not about me; it's the, it's about the team. And I, I don't know if that's just sort of like that hockey sort of nature when you grow up. Um, you know, and I think um, you know having uh, and this might be sort of a cultural thing. You know, I, I, I actually kind of see it with New Zealand and Australia a little bit, too. Like, obviously, U.S. and Canada, you're kind of the big brother and we're kind of the little brother. So, you know, we're always kind of like feeling like, you know, we're that underdog. We have to prove ourselves against our big brother to the south. So I think, you know, Canadians kind of have that mentality. Um, you know, they you feel like you got to work for everything because, you know, U.S. is obviously pretty successful in, in most of the things that they do. So, um, you know, but we're definitely as a culture, I think we're willing to put in the put in the work.
2: You guys, that was an absolute perfect segue into the final question of the evening. I couldn't have teed that up any better. Both of you, Derek, David, thank you so much for that. Much like true Canadian fashion, the importance of giving back and the importance of community, a rising tide raises all ships sort of mentality. David, the opportunity to be selfish and to enjoy these spoils of your hard work that's one part of it, but there's always the other side, the opportunity to give back. So what is the important part about your platform and leveraging the things and opportunities you've had to give back?
1: Yeah, so I've been fortunate in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, the first I'll talk about quickly is uh, I started the David Hearn Foundation actually in uh, 2015 and we raised money for Alzheimer's. It's something that uh, affected my family on my mother's side and a, and a little bit on my father's side as well, but mostly on my mother's side. So, you know, when I, when I got in a position where I felt like, you know, we do so many things charitably on the PGA tour uh, you know, whether we are at tournaments or fundraisers or a lot of different things. And and every event that we play on the PGA obviously uh, raises money for local charities, which is, which is pretty awesome anyway when I got in a position to kind of leverage some of the success I'd had in Canada, we started the foundation and and that's been incredibly gratifying. Uh, here we are eight years later, I just crossed the million dollar mark raised, which is pretty Amazing. cool. Uh, we had a great turnout this year. Uh, fortunate to have uh, Ron McLean come out and MC the evening, which was kind of cool. So we had a, a real professional in the room, not just, uh, you know, someone like myself, Amazing. but I would say too, like, you know, one of the biggest, that, and that's obviously been a huge roar in my life. And I'm very proud of, of what we've been able to accomplish with that foundation. We'll see how far we can go. We'll we'll see if we can keep raising money and doing some good stuff in our local community with that. But, you know, as a father, I think this is where it kind of like rolls in the most. And I, and this has been a part of my life. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to kind of like take what I've learned and kind of try to teach it to my kids. And, um, you know, my kids are all very active in sports and in the school and things like that. Um, so it's been neat to see like my wife has been very involved uh, with activities at the school, you know, giving back where she can there. And, you know, I've been taking coaching certificates for USA hockey and helping out on the ice and, nice. you know, coaching little league baseball. And, you know, I take them to the golf course and, you know, I think that, you know, as a parent, as a lot of people listen to this pod and, and you guys might be as well, it's uh, something to be very proud of when you can kind of teach your kids and instill still some of these things you've learned over the years with them and um, you know that that's been a, a really cool something that you know you don't think about when you're first having a child but you know when I get to this age it's uh, that that's a cool way to get back you know for all the time you spent away so it's been a lot of fun I really enjoyed it
2: yeah amazing little people and the things you made and how you're sort of conditioning and directing them Derek and I are in the practice mode still no no children for either of us that we know of but uh, can only imagine yeah can only imagine <laughs> how busy that keeps you and how exhausting it may be but David, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show tonight. Continued success this year. Congratulations on, on the achievement with the foundation. That, that's so amazing. I mean, at any capacity, giving back to the community and, and leveraging your position is amazing and selfless, but raising that amount of money to get back to, to really support Alzheimer's is, is truly wonderful. So continued success. Good luck this year. Hope to see you on the President's Cup maybe next year. Ron, Montreal. us you all.
1: I'm working on it. Uh, thanks, Chris, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on your pod. And uh, I wish you guys all the best this year. Amazing.
0: Hey, thank you. Enjoy Thanks.
2: Thanks for Jack fan. We are super excited to announce for season six. We have partnered with Italian golf shoe designers, Duca del Cosma, and we're giving away a free pair of shoes for every episode. That's right. Every episode, one lucky listener that DMs us is going to receive a pair of shoes. Baldovino Mattiazzo's passionate innovations bring a much-needed sophistication and authenticity to the traditional golf world. These are handcrafted in Europe, superior craftsmanship, combined with cutting-edge technology for the next generation of golfer, wherever life takes them. On and off the course, get the best of both worlds. Stylish Italian golf shoes. These are amazing. Again, that's Duca del Cosma, Italian handcrafted golf shoes. DM us for your chance to win every new episode that drops. Good luck.